All right, we are back finally with another domain query. Uh, this one is outside in. So, uh, Randall E6, longtime reader in front of the blog, in front of the site, wrote in um, for Monday, actually. This is what, today's what, the 21st of May. So, he emailed me on the 16th. And uh, this was uh, at the same time that he emailed me a bunch of interesting flash kits and mildly disturbing flash kits videos. Uh, for the last great Monday DAC browser smasher. So in the same email, he asked me a series of questions and I'm gonna read them out and I'll provide my thoughts. It's a very um, interesting set of questions and I think they deserve a proper and honest answer, which I will of course endeavor to give. So the general theme of his questions is, better off an outsider in Asia than a white man in America. And I quote now, Looking at the way things are going, I'm also going through the process of getting a degree, thankfully on a vastly decreased timetable owing to a degree backlog. The plan is to simply go teach English in Asia and then either go through a cheap master's in ESL to teach at the university level or uh, found my own school slash study room. As for what is making me leave rather than stay for the fight in the USA, I'll be honest, I prefer to live life on easy street and not having to play divorce roulette in the USA. It is easier to have a family when you live somewhere that actually gives a damn about the institution. Uh, judging from your writings, you have been an outsider for the majority of your life. What have your experiences as an outsider been like, particularly within the context of Southeast Asia and East Asia? I asked about East Asia first and Southeast Asia second, it's not important, but end quote. Um, so, quite a few questions to get to there. Um, let's unpack them one by one. So, uh, essentially what Randall E. Six is asking is, would you be better off living as a foreigner in a place like Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, uh, Singapore, uh, Laos, well, maybe not Laos or Cambodia, perhaps, um, Malaysia, uh, countries of, of that sort, even maybe South Korea, Taiwan, um, sort of along those lines. Well, uh, even, you know, maybe even Japan. Um, well, it, it's, a, it's a complex question, particularly from the standpoint of marriage and family. So let me start by listing the pros and cons of living in Southeast and East Asia. The pros are really quite pro. Um, East Asian women and Southeast Asian women uh, are just generally more, much more feminine, vastly more feminine, particularly in Thailand, Vietnam. Uh, Thailand, in particular, Thailand specifically is well known for this. They're just very gentle, kind, feminine, loving, decent women, and <clears throat> they genuinely like pleasing their men. Um, they're brought up from childhood to be respectful to their men folk and to their elders. And that is an aspect of the culture which I think appeals to a lot of men who go to Southeast Asia and they're like, oh, I'll never go back to the USA. And, you know, entirely understandable. Um, that also, however, creates some complications. So if you were to go to live in Thailand, for instance, or in Vietnam, or especially in uh, East Asia, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, 
uh, even Singapore. I, I actually wouldn't recommend Singapore because Singapore is like it's East Asian culture on steroids with a very, very heavy dose of Western materialism thrown in. It's not a good combination. The women in Singapore are difficult and demanding and picky, and because they live in a rich country, I mean, Singapore is a first world country, they have the expectations of first world women, which is not a good thing for a man looking to build a stable life. And of course, divorce laws in Singapore are um, deeply antithetical to having a family. And birth rates in Singapore are catastrophically low. I think it's got the lowest birth rate, if I'm not mistaken. I could be. But I think it's got the lowest birth rate in the developed world, um, which has natural consequences for the way that women act. I mean, in Singapore, it is kind of expected that a woman will grow up and have a career and have a job and, and so on and so forth. Despite uh, The government makes it very easy for people to live in Singapore relative to other countries. Uh, it's a matter of... Uh, matter of scale and comparison, obviously. So let's say you end up in, I don't know, Thailand, because that seems to be the go-to destination for a lot of guys. The, the landscape in Thailand will be very, very different from the landscape in South Korea and, I'll, and, and in Japan. And in, I've never been to Taiwan, I've never been to South Korea, I've never been to Japan, but I know enough about these countries that I can give you some idea. Um, if you land up in Thailand, and you find a local woman and you, you know, hit it off and you have your own sort of thing going in, in Southeast Asia, well, you're going to be doing all right. You know, that's, um, that's, that's good. But you'll have, I mean, you'll have a, a wonderful woman in your life who will take care of you, who will cook for you, she'll clean your house, she'll uh, make you feel happy and just generally relaxed and stable. Um, the downside is that... <clears throat> Uh, there, there are multiple downsides, one of which is if you get involved with a Southeast Asian woman, you get involved with her family immediately. And that's very difficult for a lot of Western men who are raised in very atomized societies to understand. The moment you get involved with a Southeast Asian woman and you take on her problems and her responsibilities, you also take on her family's problems and family's responsibilities. They become your second family. And any issues that they have, you are expected as the man of the house to help with and handle. If you're not ready for that, then it's going to be a huge problem because this will result in massive misunderstandings um, if you don't take on those responsibilities, extremely hurt feelings, and a lot of anger. And the last thing you want to do is get into a situation where your wife or your girlfriend has to choose between you and her family because that is in a Southeast Asian culture is going to be very destructive to your relationship. So you have to accept and understand that if you get involved with a Southeast Asian woman, uh, this is the, this is what you will have to deal with. And it's not going to be fun. And it's not going to be easy. Um, you will have to give up in a large measure, actually, much of your independence and your identity. And I'm not joking about that. That's, that's the actual truth of Asian thinking. Uh, Asians do not have the same obsession with individualism that Westerners do. This tendency gets markedly worse in East Asia. So if you look at the East Asian countries, if you look at the culture and, and mindset of China, 
South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan. I will talk about the first three. I don't. I just don't know enough about Taiwan to be anywhere near fluent in in discussing it. I would assume that it's similar to China, but I cannot be sure. So you know, I think you should discount my opinion on the subject. But if you look at China, the women that marry foreigners in China are not um, themselves. Uh, how, how do I put it? <clears throat> They're not, they're not the kinds of women that would necessarily be happy in a relationship with a Chinese man. So if you go to China and you date Chinese girls, I've not done it. I know of guys who've done it and I'm listening, I'm, I'm recounting their stories. Uh, they will tell you that a Chinese girl dating a white guy, it's, it's not, it's not unheard of, but for marriage, it's extremely unusual. And, it's not something that Chinese families would consider uh, acceptable or normal under most circumstances. Under ordinary circumstances in China, what you would typically find is that the parents would want their daughter to be married to a Chinese man and uh, living you know, like a typical Chinese woman. And that makes it very hard to break into the Chinese way of life. The women that marry foreign men typically tend to be women who are already divorced from their husbands, from their first husbands, didn't get along with them, they were abusive, they drank too much, they smoked, whatever, I mean, whatever, right? Uh, these are women who are not prime marriage material to begin with. So that's something to keep in mind. Also remember that Chinese women, particularly in the bigger cities, in Shanghai, Shenzhen, uh, I wouldn't recommend Beijing because Beijing is, uh, is just a smog-covered, um, not nice place to be. Shanghai, I've not been to Shanghai, but uh, Shanghai, I would imagine, would be the most international of, of all Chinese cities. Uh, but the women there would be very materialistic, very keen on you having the nice things, the nice car, the nice salary. Because if you don't have them, then other Chinese men will So in, in, those, in those areas. So I don't recommend China as a place to go. South Korea seems to be a big one um, that a lot of Western men like to go to. And there are a number of, you know, Return of Kings articles from way back in the day when Roosh was still running that site. Uh, he may have taken it down. I, I haven't visited ROK in a long time. But what, he, what his contributors had to say about South Korea was, I think, pretty spot on. South Korean women tend to have the reputations for being the most beautiful in all of Asia the most statuesque, the most um, full-figured, the most well-developed. Uh, they retain a lot of the good characteristics of Asian women. So they, they have the femininity, the, the, the caring nature, the nurturing side. Um, they don't have the same uh, level of materialism as, let's say, their counterparts in Japan will. But there are big challenges with getting into South Korean society. China, South Korea, and Japan are all extraordinarily racist societies. And they make no bones about this. I mean, the, the, the East Asian peoples are very clear about the fact that they consider any white outsider or anyone who is not of their skin color to be inferior. And they're, they're just, they're, they're very open about it. They're just like, um, in, in, uh, in Japan, uh, gaijin, 
uh, as they call foreigners, and <clears throat> that translates in various ways. Um, one of which is white devil. Uh, not that's not a literal translation, I should say. Uh, Guaylo in in Mandarin, like white pig, uh, and there's also red nose. I think my I have no knowledge of Chinese, so uh, don't don't quote me on this. But these are these are the sorts of things that you will encounter when you go to those countries. And if you try to settle down with a South Korean woman in South Korea, you automatically have to deal with a very insular, closed culture that regards you as a foreigner at all times, and that sense of isolation is going to become very hard to bear if you do not make tremendous efforts to try to integrate yourself into that society. It's very hard to do. And then we get to Japan, which is like China and South Korea on HGH, but with a lot more problems and complexes. So Japan obviously is an incredibly advanced, uh, prosperous society, and yet the women there are, they have all of the drawbacks of Chinese and South Korean women, and not too many of the advantages. What I mean by that is, in Japan, maternal instincts are kind of repressed. Uh, it's normal for, for couples to get married quite late. It's normal for them to have at most one child if they have children at all. It is normal to find women who are more interested in their careers than and in material things than in um, having children, having a family, being married. I know of, of people of my own acquaintance from Japan, very nice ladies, very, very well put together, very stylish, well-dressed, good cooks, uh, very nurturing, very feminine, very caring, kind women who nonetheless have no interest in getting married. None. They like having their boyfriends, they like spending time with their boyfriends, they like taking care of their boyfriends, but they do not want to get married. They do not want to have children. Uh, they're not necessarily even all that attached to their boyfriends. It's just like, well, he's my boyfriend and, you know, he's a senior director at some, such and such, and he's a good guy. Um, but he's much older than me and he just makes me, gives me nice things. Well, okay, that's... To me, that's not the basis of a relationship, but that's actually fairly normal from what I've seen in Japan. And then you get to the Japanese culture, which is incredibly racist and uh, negative towards foreigners of any skin color. I mean, the Japanese have a notoriously tight-fisted immigration policy. Uh, you cannot preserve dual citizenship with Japan. You have to give up your old citizenship. And you have to learn how to be Japanese. You have to dress like them. You have to walk like them. You have to talk like them. You have to read their newspapers. You have to uh, adopt their culture. And again, you're going to find this throughout all Asian cultures in general, Southeast Asian and East Asian. Very non-confrontational. They don't like confrontation at all. Westerners have a hard time understanding this, which means that whenever you get into a conflict with somebody, it's never going to be to your face. It's always going to be a very passive-aggressive way of dealing with disagreements. And you're going to find that with the women and you're going to find that with the men. And it's a huge problem because passive-aggressive ways of handling conflict are the worst ways of handling them. If you have someone who's being passive-aggressive with you, you never quite know what is bubbling beneath the surface. And you never quite understand when the anger and the resentment is going to boil over and reach critical mass and blow up in your face. You don't know. 
this is one advantage that being a Western educated, Western type person will have in a Western society. You're just much more direct and much more open about what you think and what you have in mind. And that's good. But in East Asian societies, unless you learn how to keep your lips shut and go along to get along, which is what you're going to be doing an awful lot of the time, you're not going to have a very good time. It's going to be very, very difficult to crack that society and become part of it. So, uh, I hope I've provided some insight into what it's like being in those societies. You have to understand that, yes, the women will be of much higher quality, vastly higher quality than anything you find in the West, but they come with a very, very high price tag as well. If you get involved with those women in their society, you have to find a way of adapting into that society, and doing so is an extremely challenging task. It's very, very, very difficult. You have to learn new languages, new customs, new traditions, new ways of dealing with conflict, new ways of approaching problems and solving them, new avenues of interaction with different people from different backgrounds. And it's really like being almost lost in a desert without a map sometimes. It, it really is. It's very, very difficult to adjust. And it's, I'm not saying don't do it. I think it's, it's worth doing. Um, but understand that it will be an extremely taxing struggle at times. There will be rewards. There's a, there are good things to, um, involved in, in doing these things. Uh, it will make you much tougher, much more resilient, much stronger as a man. And you'll learn how to become much more proactive in solving your problems. But just understand that, uh, fleeing the West for somewhere else, and expecting everything to turn up roses is ridiculous. It's not going to happen that way. If you try to land up in a new culture and start over again, you are an alien and you will be treated as an alien. That's the price to pay for ending up in a culture that is actually proud of itself and believes in itself and isn't just open to accepting anything that comes its way. Okay. So, um, with respect to uh, other stuff, so uh, the, the the plan, as he mentioned, is to go to Asia to teach English and then do a cheap master's in ESL or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you could do that. It's not as appealing as it used to be. Uh, I've got to tell you, I mean, this is not this is this is a well-worn path by now. If you if you're doing that, then you're kind of going into territory that has already been explored many, many times. There are lots of foreigners teaching English in, in Asia. It's, it's, it doesn't pay well. I mean, it really doesn't. Not anymore. Um, <clears throat> if you, if you were to go to Japan or South Korea, maybe China, I mean, they were bringing in, you know, English teachers from Africa who during the coup, by the way, during the coup lockdowns, they were just kicked out of their apartments and like thrown onto the streets, literally. Um, that's how little the Chinese think of black Africans. Um, if you were to follow the same route, then you would definitely need a side hustle of some kind. Um, and you would need to make sure that you are staying on top of that side hustle and trying to build it out. I don't think going there as an English teacher um, on your own will be easy. I don't think it will help you achieve a comfortable life. I think... Uh, 
if if it's if you plan to stay there long term, if you plan to stay in Southeast Asia long term, you really need to consider uh, partnering with somebody for a business idea, um, building up some sort of local network of connections, and really establishing yourself as a separate entity rather than just as an English teacher. I mean, teaching English is not a way to get rich. Uh, it's not even a way to live a comfortable life, in all honesty. Here is one idea that you might want to think about, however. If teaching is something that appeals to you, consider applying to international schools in these countries. Why? Because they pay well. They pay for foreign talent to come over and they often give you housing allowances and other various perks. I mean, if you were to apply to I don't know, United World College uh, in, in Asia, there are a whole bunch of them now. Um, there's a the really big one. There, there's one with two massive campuses, I think, in, in Singapore. It may even have a third by now. That is an international school that brings in foreign teachers, pays them well, lets them live in Singapore in, with a very high standard of living, and you would actually get to teach people every day and have a pretty good lifestyle, in all honesty. Uh, a teacher's life is a pretty good one. You have a certain amount of holiday every year where you're just not doing anything. You get to work with children. You get to experience a very vibrant local culture. There's a lot of upside to being a teacher at places like these, if you, if you like teaching. So think about doing that and think about applying to an international school. Those sorts of gigs, I think, would be much more uh, rewarding in terms of setting you up for a relatively easy life without too much stress and too much worry while still giving you access to the local culture. So it's worth thinking about, I would say. Uh, now, with respect to divorce roulette, so it's a good point. It's also worth remembering, however, that divorce in Southeast Asia is a lot easier these days than it used to be. Uh, the divorce rates, I haven't gone and looked them up in quite some time. Uh, I don't think I ever really looked at divorce rates in Southeast Asia. But don't just assume that if you go to Southeast Asia, divorce will no longer be a problem. It will be. Uh, the local laws will be local laws. And you need to understand what you're getting into before you settle down and marry a woman in that culture. Always understand that if you run into trouble overseas, you're on your own. There's no one who's going to be able to stand by your side and help you the way that would happen if you were in the Western world dealing with an American lawyer or a British lawyer who understands the local needs and the local uh, lingo and isn't going to rip you off just because you're a foreigner. I mean, that's very rare in the West. Uh, it's much more common in the East because the assumption is that because you're a farang, you have a certain level of, of wealth and assets that they can exploit. And if you're a desperate farang, then that's even worse, right? So I, I, I don't mean to be negative. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be realistic. So be aware of these potential problems and plan ahead for them. If you try to marry a local woman, Make sure you understand the local laws concerning divorce because they will always favor her in court than you. And 
if you run into trouble in a country like that, you are on your own. You have no real chance of rescue unless you build up your networks in that country. So my advice to anybody planning to go overseas and settle overseas and build a life overseas is do your homework, connect with locals first who have been there before, who've charted the path before you, set up those connections, cultivate them very carefully and try to understand what you're getting into and make sure that those connections are there for you as friends when you need them because you're going to need them at some point. Don't ignore them yourself. Uh, always always take the meeting, as it were, as, as um, somebody that I know here actually told me uh, recently. Always take the meeting. You never know what could come out of it. You never know what good could be the result. Always take the meeting with whoever is there on the ground. And always try to uh, help other people while you're on the ground over there. If you're on your own, in a culture that values favors, which Southeast Asian and East Asian cultures do, then you will be much better off having that local knowledge on your side when things go wrong. And they will go wrong at some point. Believe me, I know. Last point, um, judging from your writings about being an outsider, what, what have your experiences as an outsider been like, particularly in the context of East and Southeast Asia? Well, it's very difficult. Um, there are advantages. I mean, I, I'm an outsider no matter where I go. I, I have no strong connection to the country of my birth. I have no particular love for it. Uh, every time I go back, I'm just like, this is depressing. I don't like being there. And um, I make no bones about that. I mean, uh, people find it offensive, but you know, I, I don't know what to tell them. This is just, I, I don't hide my feelings about it. Um, I think that my country's government has done an absolutely piss poor job of uh, helping its own people and looking after their interests. It doesn't matter which political party's in power. It also means that Having grown up outside of my country for all of my life, I have a very Western mindset because I grew up in a Western environment, but I'm not Western myself. And especially these days, as I see how corrupt and degenerate and disgusting the West has become, how evil it's become. It's really hard for me because I value the West greatly. I mean, I have tremendous admiration for, let's say, America as a country. I really do. I mean, I, I have deep, deep respect and admiration for the American Constitution, for its past, its history, for everything that Americans have achieved. I, I love America as a concept and indeed as a country. I've spent so much time in America wandering around through the country uh, getting to know the people, getting to understand the environment. I, I really love it there. I mean, I, I, I really respect and admire America as a country, but I'm absolutely horrified by what it's become. I, I mean, the America of 2022 is not the America that I went to in whenever it was 16, 17 years ago uh, when I landed up there. This country is totally alien. You know, this is a country where people can't even define what a man or a woman is. They, they can't figure out the basics of biology and their, 
lecturing to the rest of the world about how to run their economies and how to run a rules-based world order? I mean, who, who are you to lecture anybody about rules if you can't even figure out the basic laws of biology? Like, it's ridiculous. And what I'm seeing in the West is, is a culture in terminal decline and richly deserving of destruction, which is exactly where it's headed. And I'm just horrified by what I see. But because I have this perspective on things, I understand the, the merits and demerits of Western culture and the merits and demerits of Eastern culture. I can also kind of fit in and blend in in most places that I go to, not all of them. My appearance obviously makes me stand out. I mean, it's unavoidable whenever I go to specific countries. They can always tell, oh, you're a foreigner. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that, but some countries are more tolerant and accepting of foreigners than others. Uh, if I were to travel in Southeast Asia, if I were to go to Indonesia, for instance, I would have no problems because I Indonesians are very welcoming, friendly, kind, gentle people. They're really nice people. And they're very happy to have foreigners in their country. As a general rule, they're just very, they're very tolerant people. Overall, I mean, there are bits of Indonesia where you want to avoid, like um, Aceh, which is heavily Islamized. But Bali is great. If you, if you like sandy beaches and warm, kind people, Bali is a wonderful place to be. Uh, of course, with the Kuf mandates, they've, they've kind of locked all of that down a bit. But, um, you know, I would say being an outsider... Um, grants you a lot of advantages, but it also makes you feel very alone. And there's no getting past that. If you are an outsider, you have no place to call your own. You are a guest wherever you go, and you have no chance of being accepted as just one of them. Because you're not. You're not one of the locals, and you never will be. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you try to establish yourself as a local man, you will never be. You will always be that bloody foreigner. At some level in people's thinking, you will always be that bloody foreigner. This is this is a phenomenon you do not find in the Western world. Interestingly enough, for all the problems that Western countries have, particularly Anglo-Saxon countries, they have no issues with people coming in from outside and essentially being treated as natives. And that's one of the weird things about a country like the USA or the UK or Canada or Australia or New Zealand. They have no problems whatsoever with bringing in imports from India and Africa and Latin America and saying, hey, come on in, welcome, you're one of us now. They make no distinctions. Whereas in other countries, in Southeast Asia and in East Asia especially, they really make distinctions, either legally or racially in terms of cultural attitude towards you so this this is uh something that is not to be underestimated or taken lightly the value of the western world lies in its ability to take what works and discard what does not or at least it used to be today the western world takes everything including the worst possible influences and tries to make them work together. It doesn't, it, it, it's very stupid to do that. 
in reality, what you need to do is if you're going to bring in Africans and Indians and so on and so forth, you need to understand that they're not, they're not Christian, uh, they're not European Christians, right? So they don't have the attitudes of European Christians. They are pagans, they are animists, they are of different Christian traditions, they have a completely different cultural mindset. This is not a combination that will work very well. So you have to understand that in the West and you have to um, be more discerning about who you let in and who you don't. But the West has long since abandoned that principle. In East Asia, they go to the opposite extreme. They're like, we will control exactly who we let in and if you don't like it, then stay out. And if you don't adopt our culture and our norms, then we don't want you. And even if you do adopt our culture and our norms, we still don't really want you. So that's the, the kind of complex that you have to deal with when you're, when you're in a country like South Korea or China or especially Japan. They are really insular, really antagonistic towards foreigners beyond a certain point. And no matter what you do, you will always feel like an outsider. You're, the things that you value and cherish will not be the things that they value and cherish. And you have to kind of lose some of your own identity in order to make it work out there. And that's not something that most people are able to do. So your success or failure as an outsider will depend on how easily you can face that outside culture and blend into it while still privately maintaining your own traditions and worldview and keeping your own sense of identity intact. And if you can manage that balancing act, you can make it work. I say this as somebody, again, who's been outside of my, own, my entire life. That's the only way to manage it. You have to present one face to the outside and keep your true face at home. And you may find that this will cause problems when trying to bring someone else into your life and you have to kind of learn to accept that, that it is going to cause problems and you have to find a way to manage that. It's not easy, but it can be done. If you find the right girl, you, you find the right woman, you find the right, uh, the right place to be, you can have a very happy life. So that's, uh, that's about all I have to say on the subject. I've gone on for quite a bit, but I hope I answered the questions in considerable detail. Um, again, being an outsider looking in is a good thing. It comes with a lot of drawbacks. Understand that East Asian cultures and Southeast Asian cultures are not uh, the promised land compared to the Western world. They have lots of advantages, no doubt. They're a lot better to live in, much healthier, much less toxic, much less stupid, much less insipid, much less materialistic in many ways but they also come with tremendous drawbacks and you have to be aware of those and never, ever, ever, ever underestimate the power of having a local network that you know that you can tap into. So make sure you establish those roots or at least put those feelers out there before you ever go overseas. Because when you land up there and you have nothing and no one to talk to that even remotely understands your point of view, you'll go crazy very quickly. 
So that's it from me. Uh, this has been Didactic Mind, uh, and this is actually the Domain Query series. So this is Domain Query, Inside Out, and I am Didact, signing off.